a reading from the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, don't ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Don't judge, you will not be judged. Don't condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Would y'all take it off of would y'all take it off a of screen share? Well we got there. I'm not. No, full confidence. Uh, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian whose family helped to rescue Dutch Jews during the Holocaust and German occupation of Holland. Uh, her family was eventually caught and arrested. Corey's father died quickly in prison. Corey and her sister Betsy were sent to the notorious Ravensbrück camp where they nearly starved and were treated very cruelly by the guards there. Her sister Betsy died at that camp. After the war, Corey set up rehabilitation centers to care for the survivors of the war. And in 1947, she spoke at a church in Munich, Germany. And her message to this group of German folk was that God forgives. She believed it was the message that Germans most needed to hear in their bombed out land, that God had thrown their sins into the sea and put up a no fishing allowed sign. When she finished her sermon, she noticed a man from the back making his way forward. He was large and heavy set. He had a big gray overcoat on and he was holding his brown felt hat in his hands. Corey had a flash of memory. She could see this man in a blue uniform and a cap with a cross, with a skull and crossbones. 
She could see the room where the dresses and shoes were piled in the center of the floor where she had walked naked past this very man. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrook, one of the most cruel guards. He approached her and he put out his hand. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Corey could not bring herself to take his hand. She stood there frozen, wondering if he remembered her, sure that there was no way that he could recognize her among the thousands of women that he had seen at Ravensbrook. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember her. But since that time, he recalled, I've become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, will you forgive me? He extended his hand again. Corey stood there and could not forgive. Betsy died in that place, she thought to herself. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? This was the most difficult thing she had ever been asked to do. This is the challenge of loving our enemies, of praying for those who abuse us, of doing good to them, of forgiving them. The challenge is the tension between forgiveness and justice. If we forgive, will that just give license for this to happen again? Will it erase the evil that happened in the past? Will it require us to live in relationship with those who might continue to harm us? James Cone, the father of black liberation theology, says as much about slavery and lynching in the American South in his book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. He writes, The white Christ gave blacks slavery segregation, and lynching, and told them to turn the other cheek and to look for their reward in heaven. Be patient, they were told, and your suffering will be rewarded, for it's the source of your spiritual redemption. Forgiveness by white masters was a tool of manipulation and spiritual abuse, a way to keep slaves, black slaves, under the control of their white masters. In 2015, Dylan Roof attended a Bible study of the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. There he shot and killed nine church members, all African Americans, and he did so with the explicit hope of igniting a race war. Shortly after these events, family members of the nine church members who were killed shared at a press conference that they forgave Dylan Roof. They, they acknowledged the atrocities and the harm they experienced, but they forgave, they expressed their forgiveness, and they prayed for his redemption. Uh, and their gestures were met with mixed reactions. Uh, black activists were frustrated by it because it seemed to gloss over justice and erase any space for righteous indignation about the injustice that occurred. 
Joshua Lazar, commenting on the Charleston shooting, wrote, Forgiveness to the black activist of the 21st century can sometimes be seen as a form of white appeasement, a way which fears are assuaged that blacks will not revolt against the horror which was committed. Is this what forgiveness is supposed to be? Glossing over justice, spiritual bypassing the pain of atrocity, as the Apostle Paul would say, by no means, let it not be. And yet it may feel like it, as Corey said, that one could erase the terrible death simply for the asking. I'm curious, we do a little talking in this community, we have dialogical preaching, so this is not a rhetorical question. Uh, how do you navigate this tension yourself between forgiveness and justice? As you hear the tension that I'm trying to create between forgiveness and justice, how do you navigate that um, for yourself? How do you how do you see that? And so that our Zoomers can hear us. Um, and sorry if you're offended for me calling you Zoomers, guys. We'll find another word for it that honors you better than that. For our, for those who are attend for our friends and partners who are attending virtually. <laughs> We, uh, we'll have a mic over here that I'll, I'll roam around the room if you've got a comment so that they can hear you too. Anybody have thoughts? And uh, if somebody on Zoom has a comment you want to make, please just pipe up. We can hear you. Uh, I'll state the question again. How do you navigate this tension between forgiveness and justice? Oprah, should I stand up? I'm glad that's your reference. <laughs> Does that age me? Yeah. Um, I, I immediately think, ooh, I immediately think of forgiveness is always being asked of quickly and immediately, like that guard wanted it in that moment. I, I, I need to hear it from you right now. But I think that forgiveness is like wisdom, where... It's never fully attained, done, it's done. I have fully forgiven or it's come to fruition or it's settled. It's almost like it's something that needs time and expounds and probably gets deeper, like love or wisdom or something that's never finite, I guess. And so then maybe it makes the tension slightly less that you have the time for accountability and justice while also working towards forgiveness, that it's not this final moment and feeling that you get to, that it's something that requires time, you know? Yeah, it's a process. It's a process. And so maybe it will remove some of that tension of not having to say, your actions were terrible, but I forgive you. Or I forgive you, but your actions were terrible, and I'm going to have to hold 
these multitudes together instead of it being why can't accountability and justice be swift and forgiveness be a long thought out growing process anybody else you all hear me yes okay cool Yes, Ted, thank so you. I, thank you, Zoomer. Yeah, you're welcome. Mm, yeah, we'll, we'll talk later, Charles. Um, so I, I think there, there's a few things. One is I think forgiveness is something that is given. It's not something that is that can be taken or should be demanded or maybe even asked for. I think, although that, that one is, I think, depends on circumstance and context. It's something that's given by choice, right? I can forgive you. You cannot extract forgiveness from me. Um, and therefore, forgiveness is more about the person doing the forgiving than it is about the person that did wrong or that that needs to be forgiven, I guess. Um, and so I think sometimes we can kind of conflate that those two a little bit that, oh, well, if I forgive them, then they won't learn their lesson. Or if I forgive them, then it doesn't make it right. Or if I forgive them, they're just going to do it again. Well, forgiveness doesn't do anything to the other person directly or that rather that's not the point of it. Um, right. What, regardless of what that other person did, like that's, there's needing, needing, justice needing to happen or consequences having to happen, like those all still happen. Um, right. I, I, you know, and that can happen independently of your choice to forgive something. Cause it's really more about you. It's more about there's something in here that I'm holding on to that you did something that's wrong and that, that it is, it is continuing to affect me. And so my choice to forgive a lot of ways is, is about letting go of something myself. Um, and it, you're right. Like it, it is, it is an admission that I don't have the control over the other person. Um, I'm making myself vulnerable to potentially being hurt again, I suppose. Um, but I'm also not the authority to, to, to fix the problem here. This is when I forgive, it's about, it's about me giving something as a choice. Hmm. Thanks, Ted. Jen, let's see if we've got the reach. Yeah, we do. All right. I'm invisible behind the camera. Um, Turn the camera around. You're not no, here. I know. We see you and we hear you. <laughs> um, you hear a voice. Yeah. I have a body. Don't worry. Um... Forgiveness kind of makes me angry. Because I think it really sucks that the wounded people, you know, the, the people who have, you know, gone through a concentration camp where um, (laughs) 
you know, that they're the ones that are required to do the work of forgiveness. Just feels pretty sucky. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Jen. Sarah Walker. Um, I think that, I don't know how long it's been going on, but equating forgiveness with erasing is not a real true definition of forgiveness, but it's one that's been co-opted by people in charge to like use forgiveness as a weapon. And in other, other ways, it's also been co-opted by the church as like a, Jesus forgives you, like you're really awful, and Jesus forgives you, and so now like he doesn't remember anything that you've done. And that's like a really powerful um, carrot to dangle in front of people, that forgiveness equals erasure. Um, and I think in some ways, like I, I fully believe that God forgives us and he puts our sins in the sea, but like our lives still go on and there are still consequences of our actions. And I think that God remembers those. Um, and yeah, I don't know, like, I, I feel like I've had to work out an alternative definition of forgiveness just through my, through circumstances. Like it's hard to do it academically. Um, but it cannot equal erasing. Like that's a, that's a false, false thing that does not serve us or serve anybody. Serves people who want to erase the things that have been done. Um, I'm just keep thinking about like, uh, I, I think this idea of forgiveness is so much bigger than we often take time to think about because I think about little kids and, and, you know, sibling hits another sibling and the parent says, say you're sorry. And just kind of that idea of like, um, we shouldn't be, it shouldn't be something that, that is coerced or is, um, forced or, uh, but then at the same time, like, like trying to, how do you teach that? How do you teach that this is something bigger than, um, like, you know, you know, you as a parent know, uh, you who are parents, I don't, I'm not a parent, but you as parents know that, uh, that that kid didn't necessarily do something that they, they weren't trying to break the relationship with their, with their sibling for, for all time. They were just acting out. And so, like, how do you navigate that and create some sort of idea around what, that forgiveness is a bigger thing than just saying, okay, say you're sorry. Say you accept their, their apology and move on. So uh, I was at a conference this weekend that has me thinking about this. It was a, a racism in the white church conference at uh, Truett Seminary at Baylor. And um, it was interesting, just some of the African-American voices who were there that were focusing on, we talk so much about reconciliation, but maybe the focus ought to be on reparation, repair. And if we can focus on that, then we can wait on those who are able to determine when repair has been made so that forgiveness can be given at that point. So that puts it in the same place that it's dependent on the one ready to give. It's just, I don't know if it's, you don't want to look at it as repaying a debt maybe, but there is that piece. Um, but in the midst of that, uh, one of the speakers who's a friend of ours, uh, Sean Palmer, 
um, he was bringing up what happened this week with uh, Kim Potter and uh, the Dante Wright murder that happened um, last year. I think it was. And um, she got two years. And then there's an accountability question. Was that enough? Right. But then uh, he was just commenting. And I I didn't, hadn't heard it yet. I went back and listened to it after. But she was you know, very tearful. And then there's always this question of was it heartfelt and that sort of thing. But she said, I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive. And Sean's comment was, um, that's... That's centering whiteness and the perpetrator rather than the victim. And so it kind of fits in with the comments I think about kind of getting rid of. And that was helpful just to hear that out of um, the voice of a friend that was helping me think about this moment this week in light of this tension. Um, And I wonder what it would be if, as we're trying to find these sorts of things, if there was a, a church or a, some sort of space where we could define terms, like what is justice? What is forgiveness and what is it not? Because if we're working off different definitions, um, then pain's sure to be in the midst of all that. And so I don't have answers to the definitions, but it's something I'm thinking a lot about is what is true justice? What is true forgiveness? And it seems like if that's ever to be worked out, there has to be a common definition and I, I don't think we're working on common definitions, probably. Yep. Uh, thanks, Colin. I saw Sean's post about that, too. And uh, it, it hit the cutting room floor in my message prep. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry to all our virtual participants today. Oh, I have another. Gotcha. Right, yes. Communal yelling culture, yes. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, I read up on what she said, and I, I see what Sean's saying. I mean, it, uh, Miss Potter's not the one to, uh, um, to tell the family members of her victim that they should, that she hopes they'll forgive her. I mean, you can ask for forgiveness. That's one thing. But to say I really, you know, yeah, it does. That's problematic. Uh, uh, for all of the reasons we've been talking about this morning. And I think you're right, too, Colin, that we need definitions. I may not do great on justice this morning, but I'm going to work a little bit on the forgiveness one and uh, let you tell me what you think about it. Uh, Miroslav Volf in his book, Free of Charge, says that to forgive is actually to condemn. Uh, it is fundamentally, to forgive is fundamentally to say that was wrong. That was evil. That was sin. That was heinous. It should never have happened, and it should never happen again. To forgive is to, to condemn and then release. Uh, the meaning and forget of forgiveness in Luke 6. The word that's used is release. And the metaphor there is to release a debt. There is a debt that is, uh, someone stole something from us. And we, we release the debt that they hold against us. Or to release someone from jail. Someone, 
um, is going to jail or they're in jail, and we release the charges, we release their imprisonment. Now, this is starting to muddy a little bit with justice, so hold, hold with me. But it, 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 the point here at this point is it acknowledges the debt. It acknowledges the need to imprison. And then there's this release. Uh, condemn and release. Janine Heath McGlynn defines forgiveness as the refusal to hold the story of harm in a way that is violent or seeks revenge toward yourself or another. I'll read that again. The refusal to hold the story of harm in a way that is violent or seeks revenge toward yourself or another. To forgive is to say, you may deserve to be punished, you may deserve to receive the same kind of violence you doled out, whether it was verbal violence, emotional, or physical violence, but I'm not going to continue the cycle of violence. I'm not going to respond with the coercive logic of the powers and the principalities. I'm releasing any kind of violent hold on this story. This kind of forgiveness doesn't happen all at once. It's a process. Janine Heath McGlenn, who has suffered a measurable, a measurable abuse herself as a child and as a queer woman, says, I have the desire to forgive, and when I don't, I have the desire to have the desire to forgive. It's a process. This kind of forgiveness doesn't condone what happened, uh, but rather condemns it and then refuses to participate in the cycle of violence against it. Instead, it participates in the redemptive power of the cross of Jesus, who defeats the powers of violence in his death and resurrection. This kind of forgiveness makes space for righteous indignation toward injustice, and even toward God. This is called lament in the Hebrew Bible. This kind of forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. It does not, this kind of forgiveness does not require us to continue to live in relationship with those who would continue to abuse us. We can forgive and also exit the circumstances of harm. We can leave the relationship if we need it. If the other person is not trustworthy to honor us in that way, we can have boundaries. At the same time, this kind of forgiveness is open to reconciliation if The one who harms us repents, commits not to continue the abuse, becomes accountable to others, and we're we're ready to welcome them into relationship. This kind of forgiveness is paradoxically part of joining God's work of establishing justice and righteousness in our world. Interestingly, a reporter asked James Cone, a liberation theologian we talked about earlier, a reporter asked him about the families in Charleston, the the Emmanuel Nine, offering forgiveness. And he said, somewhat surprisingly to me, in this uh, New Yorker article, that the forgiveness shown by the relatives of the Emmanuel Nine was hard to understand for anyone who hasn't had to cope with that kind of powerlessness. He described it as victory out of defeat. It's the weak overcoming the strong. It's, you can't destroy my spirit. I have a forgiving spirit because that's what God created me to be. You're not going to destroy that. When they forgive, Cone says, it's a form of resistance. 
A kind of resilience. It's not bowing down. That is misunderstood, Cohn says, even by a lot of people, even by black people, even black ministers. It's a part of the tragic experience, he says, of trying to express your humanity in the face of death and not having any power. Forgiveness as resistance. Corey Ten Boom stood there, unable to forgive. And it seems like hours had passed since this former guard had extended his hand and asked for forgiveness. She knew Jesus commands us, invites us, encourages us to forgive. She knew that God had forgiven her of so much. And she could see the fruit of forgiveness in the lives of people around her reflecting back. She recalled her work with the victims of Nazi brutality in Holland. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild, rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that, she said. In this moment, his, how, his hand outstretched, Corey prayed, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. You supply the feeling. And so she woodenly puts her hand into the man's hand. And as she did, she describes this current that starts in her shoulder and races down her arm and springs into their joined hands. She describes this healing warmth that flooded her whole being and brought tears to her eyes. I forgive you, brother, she cried with all my heart. Corey says she had never known God's love so intensely as she did then. But she realized that forgiveness and love didn't come solely from her. She didn't have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit, she acknowledged. The love of God poured out in her heart by the Spirit toward this man. Forgiveness is to condemn and release. It is to refuse to continue the cycle of violence. It is a form of resistance. And at its heart, it is an imitation of God, the one who upon the cross shows us how to love our enemies. This God is kind to the ungrateful, to the wicked, and to us. Who is God inviting you to love and forgive? I'm not going to ask you to say this out loud. This is personal. This is between you and the Lord. We're not passing the mic about that. But I, I want to give you a moment just for silent reflection um, and to use however you want. You can do nothing with it. You can think about something else besides love and forgiveness. Uh, you can use this for prayer and reflection. But take a minute and if you want to, uh, think about this question. Pray about this question. Who is God inviting you to love and forgive?
God is fashioning a world. Right in the midst of this violent, vengeful one that is built on love and forgiveness and justice. Uh, to participate in enemy love and forgiveness is to resist the reign of sin and death and to invite in uh, the reign of life and healing. Can you believe it? Can you participate in it? Uh, Lord, I stand here humbly. I've never experienced anything like the Charleston Nine. I, I'm a white man and uh, have appreciated a lot of the invisibility of my privilege. I don't, I don't understand the depths of powerlessness that James Cone describes. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to figure all of this stuff out about forgiveness and justice. But I, I want both of them, Lord, and I know that you want both of them. Uh, you are working for justice and righteousness, and you call us to forgive, to release the debts of those around us. And uh, I, I just look to uh, Corey Tin Boom, to her example, to her courage in doing that, and uh, ask that you would give us wisdom. God, would you give us wisdom? Uh, to see the parts of our hearts that we need to release. The debts that are there, the, uh, the impulses for violence in whatever form it takes that might be there. And to, re- to release them. Give us the strength of your Holy Spirit to refuse to participate in uh, those particular ways of this world. Uh, and and uh, God, if I'm off, if I'm missing something, um, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be a better human. And I pray for all of those who... Um, uh, for whom forgiveness is weaponized. And they're told to forgive and bear the weight of what's happened to them. And I pray that you'll give them the courage to resist. Um, You'll give them the strength of self. You'll give them the ability to acknowledge and express their humanity in the midst of powerless and inhumanity, that you would rise up and deliver them. Lead us forward, God, in your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Plane landing. Our mission as a church is to join our neighbors to discover our roles in God's story. Here.